Welcome to Disputes Digest. It is the week of February 7th, 2022. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with the news from around the international dispute resolution field. And if you haven't already, take a moment to share the show with a friend or colleague. If you have any feedback for the show, drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. Before we get into it this week, I'd like to let listeners know about an important upcoming event titled A Call to Action, The Principles of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Modern Lawyer. It's hosted by the American Society of International Law on Tuesday, February 15th at 2 p.m. I'll be the leadoff speaker in the conversation, talking about what the legal community can do and should be doing to protect our democracy and to stand up for individual liberties and civil rights. My comments will be followed by a panel discussion featuring some familiar faces from the show, Nancy Thevenin and Rose Romeo. We'll include a link to register in the show notes, and we look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's get into the news. First up, let's talk about the Singapore Convention, which is a multilateral treaty whereby signatory states agree to enforce settlement agreements resulting from mediation in their own national courts. There are 55 signatories in all, and the instrument is generally viewed as a positive development amongst international commercial and legal sectors. There are two relevant pieces of information that listeners will want to take note of. First, the nation of Georgia ratified the convention in late December 2021, and the treaty will go into effect in June 2022. In ratifying the treaty, Georgia expressed two reservations or conditions to its ascension to the treaty. First, that the convention will not apply to settlement agreements to which it is a party or to which any governmental agencies or any persons acting on behalf of the government is a party. An apparent reference to the state's sovereign immunity. And second, the convention shall only apply to the extent the parties to the settlement agreement have agreed to the application of the convention. The nation also issued a press release, which we will include in the show notes. Another piece of news related to the convention is actually a call to action as the United Kingdom invites public comment or perspective, a so-called open consultation, on whether the United Kingdom should sign and ratify the Singapore Convention. The British government seeks views on a number of key points, as described in the consultation papers, of which include the following questions, among others. What impacts do you think becoming a party to the convention will have for UK mediation and mediators, and indeed the UK mediation sector as a whole? Second, what might be the downsides of the UK becoming a party to the convention? And finally, what would be the right time for the UK to become a party to the convention? We'll include a link to the call for consultations as well as the full list of questions and the press release from Georgia. Then let's head to Belgium and turn to the subject of tribunal secretaries. Last year, a Belgian court refused to set aside an ICC arbitral award that was in favor of the European Commission on the basis that said award was allegedly drafted primarily by a tribunal secretary. The court ruled that there was nothing inherently wrong or errant about such a practice so long as it was duly reviewed by the arbitrator. Now that Belgium's highest court has been asked to review this decision, it may establish a bright line rule for tribunal secretary use in Belgium and may become a persuasive authority in other jurisdictions as well. We'll keep following this story and bring you updates on it as the matter develops. We'll include a link to an article from the 2021 decision in the show notes. Then some Vismoot or Vismoot adjacent news as an exciting new website called The Mooting Hub, which is an online platform, has been launched. 
This platform is for moot court competition students and coaches alike. While they do not aim to fill the role of coaches, the platform does endeavor to offer free resources for students and coaches preparing for various mooting competitions. The first course is live on the website and it is for and focused on the this moot competition, in particular the oral phase. The founders have also sought that these resources are now and will forever remain 100% free to the public. It sounds like an awesome initiative and I'll be sharing it with my teams, checking it out for myself. We'll include a link in the show notes. Then let's head over to South America as the Paraguayan Arbitration and Mediation Center, or CAN for its acronym in Spanish, continues forward with its new arbitration rules. The 2021 rules include adjustments aimed at modernizing CAN's practices with international arbitration in mind. Some of the notable updates include language regarding the provision of emergency arbitrators, a new expedited procedure which does not automatically apply and instead must be opted into. Then there's also the new Article 8 of the rules which provides for the possibility of starting a single arbitration to settle disputes arising out of relating to more than one contract, regardless of whether the claim is formulated under one or more arbitration agreements as well as for consolidation procedures under Article 12. The new rules also provide guidance via Article 11 on how to constitute a tribunal in the case of multiple parties. A few more notable items. Arbitrators must now include the award within three months from the date of the proceedings being closed or face removal from the camp list or other sanctions. And the award shall remain confidential with camp having the ability to publish certain awards if redacted to maintain the party's confidentiality. One final note, at Article 45.2e, of the 2021 rules, the rules now include attorney legal fees as part of the arbitration cost that tribunals may order a party to pay pursuant to the Paraguayan Arbitration Act. We'll include a link going into a deeper dive in the show notes. Next, we head over to Hong Kong as a Hong Kong court confirms that an arbitral tribunal is, quote, the master of its own procedural rules, end quote, and in further compliance and support with the pre-arbitration conditions principle that they should not be reviewed by courts. The underlying case, TBB, the claimant entered into a contract with B on 25th of April 2018, under which T was to carry out certain construction works with a completion date of 28 July 2024. The contract contained an arbitration agreement which provided that disputes between the parties would be referred to arbitration on the condition that a completion certificate had first been issued. After dispute arose between the parties and the matter had been submitted to a tribunal, the tribunal awarded an interim award, notably ruling that he did not have jurisdiction to hear the matter. Then on 29th of January 2021, claimant applied to the court to set aside the award under Section 81 of the Arbitration Ordinance on two grounds. First, that the arbitrator was appointed only to determine the jurisdictional challenge, but not to construe the contract and therefore his ruling was beyond the scope. And second, that the arbitration agreement in the contract is construed by the arbitrator was contrary to public policy and therefore invalid because its operation would necessarily preclude the right to have any dispute heard within the statutory limitation period. The court affirmed another recent decision, CVD, and held that whether or not pre-arbitration conditions had been fulfilled was a question of admissibility rather than jurisdiction and supported its decision based on four grounds. In a lengthy opinion, the decision is seen as a reaffirmation of the principle that compliance with conditions precedent to an arbitration, or so-called preconditions, is a question of admissibility, not jurisdiction, and that an arbitral tribunal's decision 
on a party's compliance or non-compliance with a pre-arbitration condition will be final and will not be subject to the purview of Hong Kong courts. We'll include a link to a full analysis in the show notes. And our final story of the week is one that is a victory for victims of sexual assault and abuse and gives them the opportunity to have their day in court. This news comes as the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Ending Forced Arbitrations of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act of 2021, H.R. 4445, by a bipartisan vote of 335 to 97, with 113 Republicans joining every House Democrat to pass the bill. All 97 no votes came from Republican members of the House. The bill will now proceed to the U.S. Senate, where the identical bill has been submitted in Senate Bill 2342. The legislation provides that notwithstanding any other provisions of this title, at the election of the person alleging conduct constituting sexual harassment dispute or sexual assault dispute, or the named representative or of a class or in a collective action alleging such conduct, no pre-dispute arbitration agreement waiver shall be valid or enforceable with respect to a case which is filed under federal, tribal, or state law. This bill is not aimed at regulating non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, but rather attempts to remove a potential victim or whistleblower's right to have their dispute heard in court rather than in compulsory arbitration. Finally, since it is and in honor of Black History Month, I thought it might be a good idea to end this month's worth of shows, and maybe a couple more, with some brief tidbits of Black history. And since many of you are lawyers and in the legal world, most of these will deal with legal issues or figures from the legal world. Okay, let's take a look. Today we're going to talk about a famous South Carolinian, a South Carolina hometown legend, Judge Matthew J. Perry. Judge Perry was an attorney and lifelong jurist. In 1979, he was appointed as the first African American to serve on the United States District Court of South Carolina. A few years earlier, back in 1976, he was also the first black attorney from the Deep South to be appointed to the federal judiciary, where he served on the U.S. Court of Military Appeals. Prior to his judicial career, he was a civil rights litigator defending Gloria Blackwell in her 1962 suit against her arrest for sitting in the white-only area of a regional hospital while awaiting for emergency treatment for her daughter. Further still, his advocacy led to the integration of Clemson University, as well as a major reapportionment victory in the South Carolina legislature. Judge Perry is a hero in the state of South Carolina whose legacy is fondly remembered, the local Black Lawsuits Association chapters named for him, and the federal courthouse in my hometown of Columbia, South Carolina is named after him. We'll include a link in the show notes to some further reading about Judge Perry, and it's worth a listen. That's it for Disputes Digest. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn and to drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com. If you have any comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest. Bye. Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.